0: Have you noticed how much things have changed since you became a mum? Do you feel as though you're the only one struggling to adjust to this new norm? Can you no longer see clearly the things that felt so transparent before? Well friend, you are not alone, and we are here to invite you into our mummy village so that you always have somewhere to turn and a place where you belong. Together, we will try and bring to light the common struggles of the modern orthodox mama and delve into scripture in the hope of navigating through all of our doubts on this new and exciting journey. So come as you are and open your heart and mind to embrace the transformation God has in store for you. Welcome to another episode of Mami. Today we're going to be talking about mental health and uh, Marette and I are very lucky to have Father Dan um, Finus join us today to just give us a little bit of um, another perspective mm. on the struggles associated with becoming a new mum but not just struggles particularly um, things like depression and anxiety which we probably don't talk about enough
1: yeah we, we don't talk about at all I think <laughs> um, and uh, also just to clarify a few of the differences so you know a lot of us go through the postpartum blues and we always like um, kind of blame that on a lot of things and just to identify when it gets a bit worse than that and when things are really outside of our control Um, when to seek help what sort of signs to look for and where to go and who to turn to um, at those kind of moments which can be really hard so I guess the purpose of this episode is not it's not to diagnose a specific problem that you might have but it's just to open up the conversation kind of open up the floor for everyone listening to start having these you know, thought-provoking discussions with the people you love, um, with the people you confide in. And if you need to seek help and if you feel like you might fall into one of these categories, then you kind of know what steps be. follow.
0: Yeah. Mm. Because I think, like, even if you're not somebody who suffers from depression or anxiety, you almost definitely know somebody who does. And I think we're very bad at picking up those signs in other people and if we pick them up, we'd never know how to approach them Um so actually, Ibuna, that might be a good lead-in for you. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a blessing to be here. I don't know how much I can help, but I'm happy to happy to help in any way. But yeah, I, I think it's um, one of the difficulties also in our particular context is that mental health is kind of intertwined with spirituality. Mm. And so things get missed a lot. Things get treated in different ways a lot. There's a lot of stigma involved. Um, somebody has some kind of mental health disorder and all of a sudden – People just imagine that it's a spiritual disorder, that somebody is irritable and aggressive all the time and that's because they're a bad person that they need to come mm-hmm. to God rather than there might actually be something there as a mental health disorder, as something that's more organic. Um, and so I think that's one of the difficulties. That's often one of the, the greatest challenges for a priest um, in things like confession. So, yeah, I think this is an extremely important conversation to be had. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think as well there's a, a fair bit of stigma coming from you know culturally um and in society as well there's still I know heaps of people are trying to break that stigma and people are trying to be a bit more forthcoming and open and share their struggles with the world and how to seek help and things like that and there are so many resources that we can tap into but culturally there's still that fear that you know if I say something I will seem like less or I will seem like not a fit enough, whatever, whatever your role is in the church that you attend. And I know that was definitely my struggle. And I remember I'd opened up to someone and the first thing, you know, this was the first person I'd opened up to. And the first thing that I got was, you know, you lack faith. And so Mm. we, I feel like that's the kind of, unfortunately, that's the kind of response a lot of us get. And it's, it's hard. Then breaking out again and trying to trust someone else with, you know, what you're dealing with. You know, you're always kind of in fear that you're you're gonna get that same response, mm. and then really, how are you gonna be helped?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what the issue is: is that there's a lot of um, intertwining that the two issues are stuck together. Um, and it's not just a culture it's 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 almost like a faith issue a spiritual issue a church issue where mental health and spirituality they're stuck together and so we don't know how they relate we just make assumptions we don't know how to dissociate them and pull them Mm -hmm. apart and that makes it really hard because we ourselves after hearing sermons and talks about all these different things just think this is a spiritual problem Mm -hmm. and then at the same time People that are trying to help also can miss things and think it's just a spiritual Mm. problem. And sometimes it's both. You know, sometimes it's not just a mental health issue. It might actually be something that has to do with a spiritual issue as well. They feed into each other. And so we need to be really clear that if humans are body, mind, you know, body, soul, and spirit, then they're all going to affect things. Mm. Everything's going to be quite uh, messy. It's not going to be so clear cut. And so when someone comes who's in pain for whatever reason and our response is you need to pray more mm. you need to have more faith you need to trust you need to go to church more that is all true that's 100 percent all true but it can also miss what the actual issue is
3: yeah
0: i feel like it's almost over simplistic by just making it a spiritual problem like you're just saying well your emotions are just reflective of like what you are or aren't doing and you miss that really like physic those physical changes that are actually happening in your brain if you're talking about a purely Purely organic problem so like like you know the changes in the levels of chemicals in your brain and all of that like you miss that if you say it's just spiritual and then it can definitely mean that there's a big group of people out there who then don't get the help they need Mm. because they're it's like fighting an uphill battle really they're trying to get help in a way that's not going to fix whatever the underlying problem is but i know the other big thing like this is like kind of just me self reflecting is that for me it was one of those things that I never thought would happen to me mm. that I was so good probably just because of work at being able to identify symptoms of anxiety and depression in other people but when it came to myself I was like no no like I've got this I've got this under control like yes I'm feeling a bit anxious or yes I'm feeling a bit sad yes I'm like teary mm. but totally under control it's not actually something that I need yeah. to something about you know mm. um and so I think we also need to just recognize that none of us are superhuman none of us are like this can affect anybody no matter how well prepared you think mm. you are because that was the other thing like I was like I know better than to be depressed mm-hmm. or if I was depressed you know I would know if I was anxious I would know if this was really a problem I would know like it's my job to know how can I not like recognize this mm. and it's looking back that I'm like actually yeah I probably did need more help than I was happy to admit or yeah. you know I maybe should have listened to so-and-so and they said you should do something
1: about that mm. Mm. and I, th- I think we speaking you know from experience I think we also tend to utilize the tools that we know to try and fix the problem mm. <laughs> and I use you know air quotes for that because you know, I know that I just need to think positive or I know that I just need to make a list or I know that I just need to, you know, vent every now and then. And then we kind of use that to help us heal, but we're not actually getting the help that we need.
0: So, like, maybe, like, some something you can help, guide us with the puna like when would you start to worry about someone that like they might be having they might have anxiety or depression and what or maybe let's take a step back what is anxiety or depression
2: Yeah, so i mean one of the things that is is always surprising me is that as people come for example for confession or counseling or whatever else um often they'll be talking about issues that they don't see to be anything to do with mental health Mm -hmm. you know and and so this is where, in my own particular case, it's a bit easier just because I have medical training as well as priesthood is so that it's it's quite discernible. It's quite discernible. A lot of the priests have also trained in kind of um, uh, mental health or counselling and so they're also able to help. But um, a lot of it is just conversation and trying to see. And I guess that's one of the benefits of confession is that a discerning confession father can quickly pinpoint and see what's going on um, because as I said, they're often mixed up. They're often mixed up. I mean, I remember one young guy that came to me just stuck in his thoughts. And so he would think about his service and he would think about, am I doing proper service? Is this right before the face of God? Um, Am I doing the right kind of service? Did I have... Pride because of what service I did? Was I proud about my service? Did I give the glory to God? And it would just go on and on in circles all day, every day, until eventually I stopped and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I don't think these are spiritual problems at all. Mm. I think you probably have, you know, OCD. You have an obsessive-compulsive disorder. You're stuck in your thoughts. You can't control your thoughts. And so he went and got treatment, saw a psychologist, and had a dramatic improvement. Mm. And so I think that's one of the benefits, I guess, um, of being kind of duly trained as a priest, it does help dramatically because people can't see it. People yeah. can't see it. But I guess in terms of back to your question about, you know, um, talking about, are you talking about anxiety or depression? Both.
3: Both. Okay. <laughs> but, okay all right, all right. That's really mean. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry. Okay. No, that's all Why right. it's right, right. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> So, like, so depression, I mean, this is... Um, the important thing to recognize is with depression is that there's a spectrum, right? And so you have um, a whole spectrum from physiological, which means normal, the way our minds are supposed to function, all the way to pathological, which means that this is the way they're not supposed to function. And so all of us can be on this spectrum somewhere. For example, if someone has a loss, they break up with a, a, love, a girlfriend, uh, they lose a loved one, they lose a job, they will all have some form of reaction And that reaction will mean that they'll often be sad, they'll often be teary, they'll often not take pleasure in the things that ordinarily do. Um, The problem is when things get pathological. And so the signs of things getting uh, pathological with depression, and this is just the DSM criteria, is that you, which is the way that we kind of diagnose diagnose, um, mental health issues, is that you have at least five of the following symptoms in a two-week period. And they are depressed mood, Um, And this can be a bit tricky because often for kids and for adolescents that can often just mean that they're irritable and angry. I'd also add to that sometimes for mums, the depression is often misdiagnosed because it's actually just coming out irritability and anger Mm -hmm. towards their children or their spouses. Not that I've ever experienced that. Um, (laughs) The other thing is diminished interest or loss of pleasure in almost all of your activities. Um, So just not enjoying things as much. Um, Weight change, appetite disturbance. Um, sleep disturbance, now that can go both ways, either not sleeping or sleeping too much, um, agitation or just not having a reaction to things and being cold and numb, uh, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness, um, inability to think or to concentrate on day-to-day tasks, being indecisive, um, recurrent thoughts of death, suicidality, and so If you listen to all of those things that I've just mentioned, all of us exhibit those things at Mm -hmm. certain times. And so the most important thing is then to recognize, do I have all five and are they consistent and are they sticking with me? Um, And so often if you do feel that that might be what's going on either in yourself or in a loved one or a friend or whatever else, the simplest thing to do is just say, let's have a chat about it, you know are you okay to kind of use that kind of branding and, 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 and campaign and then get that person to see somebody, yeah. whether it's somebody who's trained in this as a GP or a mental health or a psychologist or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Cause I think part of it is recognizing, is recognizing and taking away the stigma that even if someone does have this, it's just something to be treated. It's yeah. something to be helped along. Yeah. And if we truly understand that as a church, we are not, a museum of perfect mm. creatures and saints, but we're really a hospital of sinners, to borrow one of the words of the fathers. If we're a hospital for sinners, that means we're also a hospital for broken people. And we're all broken to certain degrees. And so that means that we as a community are a broken community that are there to support mm. each other. Mm. And so rather than looking at each other with a bit of negativity, oh, you're depressed or you're anxious, rather it should be how can we lift each other up? Yeah. How can we carry each other's burdens? So that's the kind of depression kind of picture. And um, one of the things that's really interesting about that is that presents in different ways. And they can often present in what we would call a spiritual problem. So, I mean, this is all about mums. So we'll talk about mums. So, for example, I'll often have women that will come to me and say to me, you know, I'm angry all the time. I'm just frustrated. I'm always frustrated. I'm frustrated with my kids. I'm frustrated with my husband. The husband probably deserves it. But, you know, (laughs) but I'm just frustrated. I'm always frustrated. You'll ask them, but are you sad? Not really. I'm just really angry all the time, really angry all the time. But then if you go through the criteria and you look at them, you'll find that they're not spending time with their friends anymore. They're not going out as much anymore. They don't feel pleasure in activities that they used to love doing, you know. And then you go through them bit by bit and you start to realize, well, hold on, this is not um, uh, something that you might imagine. This is actually probably just depression. But what are they feeling? I'm angry. I can't pray because I'm so furious all the time. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to spend time with people. Um, And then all of a sudden, for them, this is, they're going to understand it through the lens that they have, which is a spiritual problem. Mm. And so what happens? They don't seek help. Mm. You know, they can't pray. Um, They come quite down. And people view them also that, you know, this is a spiritual problem. You're not praying. Yeah. You're not doing this. And I think that's the danger. That's the danger. Mm-hmm. So rather than the church being the hospital for sinners to lift people up, the church actually then is sometimes yeah. the catalyst for pushing people mm-hmm. down again. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think just, I'm going to ask a really annoying question. <laughs> but most of the things on, those, on that list, a lot of mums, myself included, could tick. Seventy percent at any one time yeah, and blame it on Yeah, being a mum. Being a mum. Like mm. I don't remember the last time I went out and had coffee with Marina without you <laughs> screaming know <kiss>. screaming children <laughs> or just going out for no reason or you know, taking some time for myself sleeping, <laughs> like all the, like a lot of the things on those on that list can just be kind of narrowed down to one thing and that's motherhood. Mm. So I, what I'm trying to ask is when do we say no, this is not just the normal, like, is there a time limit cut off or is there like from when I give birth to when, it, when, you know, I'm more at risk of actually spiraling in,
2: mm. into
1: a depression rather than just becoming accustomed to this new norm of mine. Like what for mum specifically, I know there's a list and a mm. criteria mm. and that's why this mm. is an annoying question, but what else could I kind of look out for or how can I help that friend who I'm worried about mm. when I know I tick most of those
2: Yeah, criteria I, I, yeah. as well? So I don't think though that you can ascribe it to motherhood. I think motherhood is a stressor. I think motherhood is something that catapults people into that list, you know. And I'll often say to people, honestly, I really believe that parenting, good parenting is martyrdom. It hurts, you know, and it comes with a price. And so it can push us into that point where, well, not that I'm a mother, but as a father, um, where it's a major stressor in our lives. There are major changes. And so I think it's to be expected that there will be um, some difficulties. But as I said, you have a spectrum. You know, from yeah. normal to abnormal, physiological to pathological, and most mothers will find that they're somewhere on that spectrum. You know, they're going to be having reactions, they're going to be frustrated, they're going to be underslept. I think the problem is when you start to tick those boxes, you start to tick those boxes consistently. Um, it starts to be something that affects your function, your social life, your family life. Um, you know, forgive me, your sexual life. All of those things together, when you put them all together and stitch them up. And you see then I'm struggling, you know, or a friend of mine is struggling. And often those signs, once you start to be a bit familiar with these kind of things, once you start to have a proper and open conversation with somebody, Mm -hmm. you start to see, you start to see the change where she's no longer enjoying anything anymore. She doesn't want to see anyone anymore. She's upset all the time. She thinks, you know, depression is basically cloudy lenses. You know, she thinks the whole world is bad. She thinks her kids are bad. Her husband is bad. Life is bad. Work is bad. And then all of that together kind of gives that picture.
0: My, like, like from a, like, with a work hat on, like, my red flags so to speak uh in mums specifically so the mum who's like kid sleeps but she can't sleep because she's so worried or anxious or just feeling sad um the ones that really isolate themselves again like you were saying Mm -hmm. abuna um but also the ones who like I don't don't know how to explain it, but it's just like this pervasive sense of like, there's just no like, like really lack of enjoyment in Mm. everything. And it's across the board Mm. and it's not, you know, there's no one thing that you can get them to think of that they are really happy to do. Or, and so I think if you see that in a friend that, you know, things that they would normally like jump at the chance to do, and it's not that it's like, you know, it's not that, they don't want to do it because it's too much effort. It's just mm-hmm. really not bringing them joy anymore. Um, that, for me, like as a as a doctor, is a really concerning yeah. sign. Um, you, yeah, but and the sleep is a big one as well. I think that's something that you might not notice with your friends, but like just not being able to get to sleep—that's another really big trigger. Yeah, mm. for me. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always found also that beyond that, there are kind of three real indicators so one is um when they start to feel that energy levels have gone off Mm. completely off it doesn't matter how well slept they are there's just no energy so that kind of comes into that loss of pleasure the other one is as marina said is not only the sleep disturbance but there's something stopping me sleeping mm. so i can't stop thinking about things and this comes into anxiety a little bit as well yeah. but i can't stop thinking about things and especially when there's early morning awakening where mm. people are waking up at 2 a.m or 3 a.m mm. and often they'll say but it's because i need to go and pee mm. right um not that i have that problem right <laughs> because I, I i don't have a post-pregnancy bladder um <laughs> but i need to pee yeah but when I come back to bed, I can't stop thinking.
3: Yeah.
2: So that's when I get another sign. And then one of the other real sensitive indicators is libido. So just mm-hmm. the, not necessarily how often a couple is having intercourse, but how often the woman is desiring it. Yeah. And that will be a drop off anyway, usually when, especially when straight after pregnancy. But when that persists two, three years, and there's just a total decrease in desire, then again, by itself might mean a whole bunch of things but when you add that into everything else it comes it's a pretty clear picture
3: Mm.
1: yeah
0: um i think though one of the biggest things is like being ready to share ourselves and Mm. i think that's something that i know both of us have kind of (laughs) dreading (laughs) 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 struggled with um and i think like to this day probably the only Person that I've really spoken to about like how I was feeling, even in retrospect, was like was maybe Michael and and both of you really. Mm. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna put my hand up and say it took me a very long time to admit that I had a problem. I thought a lot of it was just being a new mum. I was tired because I wasn't sleeping. I was frustrated because my kid cried all the time. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, mm. and like being like mostly a type A personality and coming from like a, a career where like there were there, there are answers and like you have a system to go through and a protocol to follow and then to be thrown into this world where like I'm not always going to have the answers, I am exhausted because I can't rest, I feel isolated because I can't do the things that I normally want to do. And whether that was like, you know, me stopping myself or just, you know, physically it was just hard to get out and do things with a kid... All of those things kind of like it became like a perfect storm. And then add into that hormones, add Mm. into it, whatever. And it was just – I don't think I've ever felt that way in my Mm. life before. And I've definitely had anxious periods in my life. I've definitely had stresses in my life, but nothing compared to how I felt after I had Abby. Mm. And I think initially I was like, yep, just post-baby blues, it'll go away. And I had periods where it probably felt a little bit better. Mm. But I still remember this, like, lightning bolt moment where I was just, like, I can't remember the last time that I truly felt happy, that I really felt like I was looking forward to something. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see an end to that feeling. I couldn't see, like, when was I going to feel like myself again? When was I going to look forward to something when was I going to just be able to get up and do something without worrying about mm. the fifty list of fifty things that could go wrong? Um, and that was really like for me, it was that moment that I was like, "Yeah, maybe there is a problem." But even then, I didn't know who to talk to. Mm. I felt it felt like I wasn't. It wasn't bad enough that I had to go and see someone to talk to someone. It wasn't bad enough that I had to go and see a counselor. It wasn't bad enough that I had to think about like maybe talking to my GP. Yeah. It wasn't bad enough that I had to do something about it. I still somehow was like, you know, there are people worse off than me. Mm-hmm. There are people who are really depressed. I'm not really depressed. I'm struggling, but I'm not really depressed. Yeah. I'm not really anxious. Yeah. I have reason to be anxious. I have reason to worry about what's going to happen. And I justified it in my head. Mm. And I really didn't feel like there was anyone that I could, like, I, I didn't know where to turn, I yeah. guess is what I'm saying. Um and I wish I had like a great answer about what helped me out of <laughs> it and I, I don't. Yeah. Um, but I know that like even when I was encouraged to seek help by people who were like close to me, who I trusted, I, I just was non, not a thing, mm. you know, I, it wasn't something that I was willing to do. Um, I think time obviously played a big factor, but I think the other thing like in retrospect when I look back was really just trying to slowly, slowly, slowly talk about how I was feeling and put it out there that maybe I wasn't doing as well as I I thought I was Mm. and like I was lucky in like how supportive like my family was and how supportive Michael was and you know with with time I was able to verbalize how I was feeling and that started that process of healing for me
1: yeah Mm. and I think like you said we kind of make excuses Mm. like we have an image of what depression looks like Mm. and that's the image that we kind of set the standard for depression and like you said of when there's a spectrum and we don't appreciate that what i'm feeling actually falls on that spectrum Mm. but because i'm so set in how i view it Mm. you know i constantly make excuses um and i guess sometimes you might not be a talker like I'm not really a talker I don't know how to verbalize my feelings without it coming out completely wrong and (laughs) offending everyone around me when I don't really mean to I just don't I've never been good at sharing I've never been good at opening up and I think I found that period very tough and I had a lot of setbacks and we spoke last episode about Kind of my experience after Leah's birth about her going to the special care nursery and that's when my anxiety was born and it just never left and even till today it kind of lingers in different forms and i become really anxious about ridiculous things and when you look at it in retrospect you're like not even you know doctor brain I should know better but you know normal people brain you should know better but you you can't help it mm-hmm. um, I guess a lot of setbacks, a lot of kind of issues and medical issues piled on top of that really soon after her birth. Personal issues made things so much harder. And I remember the biggest thing for me... I'm going to try and get through this. Um, the biggest thing for me was how I felt toward God. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, yeah, I remember being really upset with god and i've always had this relationship with god where we just we just kind of got each other like it was just he really got me like he gave me all the petty things i you know i asked for he looked after me in ways you know i didn't even know i needed looking after and we just had this relationship and the way i talked to him was very unique and it was just it was our own And I remember feeling like not only isolated from everybody. I pushed away, but kind of isolated from him. And in fairness, most of that was my fault. But I just remember feeling like... like, you know how I'm feeling. You know everything I've gone through. Why aren't you here? Mm-hmm. And like Abuna said earlier, like I stopped praying. I was really angry. And the recurring thing in my mind was, but we were so good before. Why aren't you here when I need you the most? Mm. And I really struggled. And I remember going to my father of confession and saying, like when someone is upset with me, I do everything I can to make things right. Like I... Go all out. I buy flowers. I take them out. Like, I do whatever needs to be to make it right. And he's silent. Like, he hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't, I haven't felt him. Like, I feel completely stranded. And I remember, Abuna, you're the one that said, just start with the Thanksgiving prayer. We spoke once. I don't think you remember. But (laughs) you said, start with the Thanksgiving prayer. And you might not mean it. But just say it anyway. And honestly, for a really long time, I'd start. I'd be like, no, nah, I don't mean any of this. None of this is coming out with heart. I'm done. <laughs> like, and I did this for ages and it was just, I'd start and I'm like, no. Nah, and I wouldn't finish. And I didn't finish it for a really long time. And I'd even just kind of sit in front of a picture of Jesus and just try and say something and just walk away in tears because I, I couldn't. I was just so upset and I felt so isolated. I felt so alone in my struggle. And I felt like he was the only one who really understood because I didn't share with anyone. And the one time I tried, I was told, your faith isn't great. Um, and so I just I just felt like he had completely abandoned me. And honestly, the only thing that helped because I just didn't have any heart in my prayer for a really long time was writing my feelings down and even though I didn't openly share and I couldn't like you know I I really couldn't bring out those words I would just write down how I'm feeling and I you know I used to love writing and I used to love journaling and this was you know, I was going back to something that I used to love doing that I completely stopped. And like you, I had lost enjoyment. I hadn't I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to see other mums who had it all together. I didn't want to see my family. I didn't really I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to serve. I didn't want to go to church. I just I just wanted to sit and wallow and be upset with God. But the only thing that healed that relationship with God at least was me writing things down and kind of putting pen to paper and writing exactly how I felt. And it was much easier to write everything out than it was
3: mm-hmm.
1: saying things. And I felt over time, things started to make sense. You know, like like you, I thought I'd never go through this. I had it in the bag, I was prepared. I know what it looks like. There's no way that's gonna be me. Like my family tree is crisp there is no <laughs> mental health i i was set you know like i was ready there's no way that was going to be me and in a way i kind of look back and i'm i'm grateful that he let me experience what i experienced because now i get it you know like all of those patients that came before with su- after a suicide attempt with anxiety i constantly brushed it off and I remember there was a mum who came to me in emergency while I was a resident When after a really long night shift that didn't seem to want to end and she came in at 7.30 in the morning my shift ends at 8 and she came in and she was just anxious she just wanted to talk to someone and so I was there for an hour and a half after my shift shift ended because she just wanted to talk to someone and I let her and then she went off I don't know what happened after that you don't really see anyone after you see them in emergency but at the time I could not appreciate that at all but I feel like now if you were to put me in front of that same person I would really listen I don't remember what she was anxious I don't remember why she you know I just remember why wouldn't you wait half an hour and go see your GP like <laughs> that's that's a terrible thought that crossed my mind half an hour before my shift ends but you know, I feel like now I've been primed to kind of recognize mm. certain things in other people. You know, other friends or family members, and I'm in a way grateful. I'm not completely in the grateful lot yet. Not yet. Not yet. yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he he was always there. And, you know, why I felt that way, I can't answer that question. But, you know, I...
2: You had a kid. I had a a child. (laughs) You had a kid, that's probably why. But, I mean, I I think what you're saying is, is what many people struggle with, whether it's through motherhood or some other kind of stressor, or whether just life, is that, like I said, depression is looking through darkened lens, everything looks gloomy. And so if the one source of comfort in our lives, true source of comfort in our lives is God, but your eyes are gloomy and you don't take comfort from the one source of comfort, it hurts. It hurts. And that's why, you know, it's not a it's not a new thing. It's something that people have been struggling with since, since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. It's something that you see all throughout the church fathers. You know, St. Isaac the Syrian talks about this idea of When you get to the point Where all you can think Are negative and blasphemous thoughts Even about God He says Wrap yourself in a blanket Throw yourself on the ground And just lie there And wait And then get up And his idea Sounds stupid But it's actually quite beautiful His idea is that you don't have to try to negotiate with these thoughts. It's not because God doesn't exist anymore. It's because not because you've lost your faith. It's because you can't see him because of what's happening inside. There's hurt. There's, there's darkened lenses. And so in his case, he just said, wait until it resolves. Because i in the middle of the desert. You're not going to go find yourself a nice GP. <laughs> um, but, but in our case, often that's the advice that I'll give people and say to them, don't worry about the spiritual issue right now. Don't worry about your relationship with God right now. Let's just get you good. Let's get you in the right headspace and then see what happens after. Mm -hmm. And if genuinely there is a spiritual problem, it quickly declares itself as well. Because once someone's mental health is restored and they start enjoying other things in their life, if at that point still they've lost their faith in God, sure, no worries. But that's not often the case. Often Mm -hmm. it's as soon as someone starts sleeping again properly, Mm -hmm. as soon as they start eating again properly, Mm -hmm. as soon as they start being happy again in their relationships and everything else, then... Quickly they start to realize Oh, it was never about me and God You know But at the same time It can also be a very fruitful spiritual time You know, which you in some way have have discovered Is that in that time of learning to hold on to God And to struggle with God And to, you know, yearn for Him Can be also something that is beautiful But beautiful in retrospect Mm. when you see it Um, But certainly this idea of of struggling with God is one of the first things that happen to somebody that is genuinely in a relationship with God because that's the one thing that hurts the most. Mm. It's the one thing that hurts the most.
1: Um. Yeah. And I think it, I didn't appreciate that, like we spoke about before, that my relationship with Him now looked different. Mm. Like, Mm. it was okay that it looked different. And I didn't give myself any grace. I was... I still am not kind to myself with, you know, this, the thoughts I let slip, but it's okay that it looks different and it's okay that I'm not doing everything that I was doing before because I physically can't mm-hmm. and I, I don't have the capacity to do as much or I'm not, I'm a completely different person um, and I think it's really tough when you're constantly comparing what was Mm. and kind of longing for that mm. to come back
0: it's almost like a grieving process really like you have to grieve uh, gr- like go through gr- or you have to grieve over what you've lost or how mm. you've changed mm. like i think that was a big thing for me like just saying okay you know i'm not going to be able to spend as much time <clears throat> in like studying the bible or praying or whatever it whatever it was i can't do that anymore but i just have to find new ways of of doing that and it's okay that i can't do that and i i like i had a good time when i was able to do Mm. that and just letting it go like really for me it felt like i I was letting go of the person that i was and accepting whoever who who i was becoming or who i am becoming um and i think that but i i think like one thing from when you were just talking like that i really can like Empathize with with was that feeling of isolation, mm-hmm. not only from like my friends, but from God and from the church in general. Because yeah. it just felt like, oh my goodness, it was so hard to get to church, and then when you're at church, you're worried about how much noise your kids making. Mm-hmm. You're not able to focus on the liturgy. You're not able to do anything, and all of a sudden, the things that like gave you comfort. It felt like, and I say it felt like because it's not—it's not really the case—but it felt like they were not an mm. option for me anymore. They were not an option, like for me. One of the things that I would do whenever I was feeling anxious, whenever I was feeling sad, was like I'd go to go to the liturgy and just sit in the altar and pray mm-hmm. and let it all out. And I would always, without fail, walk away with peace. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do that anymore. Because
2: you got these two little monkeys running around your yeah. legs and screaming <laughs> and eating. Yeah, it's not exactly. a liturgy yes. anymore. It's a chore. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and that was really hard, like letting go of all of that. So i don't know like i think something that you said to me once in confessionable no was like you know go make your relationship with god enjoyable like do something that you enjoy and make that your spiritual time and that for me was a big change that like you were saying you enjoyed your writing Mm -hmm. and i think that for me really reignited things for me personally um so i think you you're right it's really just about accepting that it's not the same it's going to be different but he's there Mm -hmm. yeah and you know you can appreciate that in retrospect
2: now but yeah it's okay that things are different i think one of the things that is 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 because of our culture and and society where we measure absolutely everything we do and so i have kpis about my work and i also have measurements i have things that i need to be doing and so we're constantly comparing ourselves to how we were whether Mm -hmm. it's our weight which i check every day you know or whatever it is and we're always measuring and we forget the fact that I don't think God really cares about mm. how I was yesterday, how it was the day before. Yeah. He meets me in the present. He interacts and encounters me in the present. Yeah. And so I might have prayed in a particular type of way 10 years ago. He doesn't care mm-hmm. because it's not about measurement. It's about relationship. And so we have to understand then that, Every day I'm living for him. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Saint anything, the great was so clear about to his disciples is that every day say to yourself, today, I begin anew mm. every day. I say to yourself, I will not measure how I was yesterday mm. because that either makes me hopeless, you know, or gives me a false sense of hope that, well, I was good yesterday. I don't need to pray today. Mm. If we just forget about all of that and just constantly evolve, constantly try to meet God in every capacity, in every way that we can, And be comfortable with that because sometimes it can be pride that's making us feel, especially when we've got darkened thoughts during depression, the pride to feel that, but I was better before Mm, because that makes me feel hopeless. Mm, That makes me feel more negative, more dark. And one of the the. Really incredible figures um, that I thought would be quite interesting to talk about is St. Ignatius Leola, who was the, the founder of the Jesuits, which are, I don't know if you know much about Catholic um, monastic orders, but the strictest, highest intellectual order where they train for like 17 years or whatever they do. Um, he actually struggled with depression really deeply, really deeply. He had a lot of kind of risk factors. He had early maternal. His mum died young. Um, his father sent him away. And so he had a lot of risk factors. And then when he became depressed, but he was in the church, serving in the church, he started to feel that there was no pleasure in anything that he would take. Even prayer was not pleasurable. The liturgy was dry. Um, Everything he would describe, he would say, it's almost like desolation covered me like a cloak. Like my clothes were desolate. Um, He was in great pain. And so he went to his spiritual father, seeking his confession father, seeking consolation. And his spiritual father said to him, you need to do spiritual exercises, and so he spent seven hours a day in prayer um, and got no relief. No relief. He started to get thoughts about throwing himself out of a window and killing himself. This is St. Ignatius, you know, someone who's quite, quite incredible. Um, and his only relief then came when he started to make the realization that he was having negative thoughts that probably were not his own thoughts, probably were not from God, but were probably from downstairs. And so he then started to look at those thoughts and wouldn't spend any time dwelling on them. Any thought that was negative, he wouldn't even consider it, wouldn't negotiate with it, and would kind of push it away. Any thought that was positive, that made him want to move towards God, he accepted. So any thought that he had that made him feel like, um, you're worthless, look how many sins you have, look how dark you are, you're, in a, you're a monastic and look how you're acting, you should have more faith than this, he wouldn't even negotiate with it. He just recognized it as something from downstairs, from the devil. And so that's modern, basically, modern-day CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And I think it's extremely important, extremely important, because if you look at your spiritual life in that kind of way, measuring to the past, but I was praying more before, I had more comfort from, from God, rather than evolving and realizing, right now, I'm down. Right now, I'm seeing things through a darkened lens. How can I meet God now? Or even if I can't, How can i at least try to be faithful now in this particular circumstance and if i can't feel him maybe i need help and i guess that's where you you know have a chat with your confession father or a good friend or a gp and then the ways out of that they may be medical therapy there might be medication there might be a psychologist might be journaling Um, it's really interesting that you're saying that the way out for you is writing because that's actually like narrative therapy is one of the, the yeah. greatest ways that, to treat with people with traumatic abuse in their pasts. So, very interesting. Mm, it mm. works. Yeah. <laughs> Try and test it. Yeah. The only
0: thing that worked. So, Mirette, what do you think would have helped you when things were
1: really bad from the people around you? What do you feel was lacking? So, I'm. I. <laughs> I'm a really annoying personality because I don't talk about what's wrong. But honestly, if I was asked and asked and kind of followed up, Mm. I would have shared. And I feel like, you know, the only person who really asked me outside of, you know, Ragi Mm. was you. Mm. And it, you know, I don't live with you, so it's a bit hard. <laughs> but like, it would have been, it would have been nice if it was, if people could just pick up on it. You know, mm-hmm. like I went from doing everything for everybody, and then everybody came to see Leah, and then everybody left, mm-hmm. and it was just yeah. me, my family, and you. <laughs> like, it was. It would have been nice to – I know it's annoying because I wasn't there. Nobody really could have known and I didn't really open up to anybody. But if somebody had reached out and asked if I kind of felt seen, I mean, I think that would have helped. It's really hard to kind of say for sure if it would have. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and I, I guess – it's like a lot of people discounted it as just the blues. You just had a baby. Like, you know, be a bit easier on yourself. Don't be so tough on yourself. Like, give yourself some time. Blah, blah, blah. Have some faith, <laughs> whatever that <laughs> means. Um, It just would have been nice instead of getting so much advice to just be heard, mm. to just rock up and... Mm be there for me like if somebody was there I don't think I would have spiraled so quickly every day or I don't think I would have been so hopeless at least I would have been surrounded by other people and I mean I love my family and everything but there's only so much I wanted to burden them with as well Um, and I felt like my poor husband bore the entire brunt of that period Because, you know, husbands, they just want to fix things and they can't and they they don't know what else to do. So they do everything I need to be done, you know, like take the baby for a walk, give the baby blah, blah, blah. Do the dishes. Do do literally everything. (laughs) So he would do everything. He would literally do everything, Mm -hmm. even till now, like when I'm a bit upset or whatever, like he does everything, like the house is spotless, all the chores (laughs) are done. He fixes whatever needs to be fixed. Everything is fixed that I just love not having anything else to do and piling on top <laughs> of my thoughts. But I feel like if there were more people involved, it would have been, you know, much easier mm. on both of us. I think, yeah, yeah,
0: because yeah. we haven't really spoken about that, but it's definitely hard supporting someone who is struggling with depression or anxiety, and you probably see it a lot more mm. than like we, like our view is very one sided, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> But it is like as much as it's hard to experience that yourself like the stress stress and the pressure that it puts on a relationship can be really really challenging especially if you're anything like me and you know like Michael could see that there was something wrong and I was just like nah'm I'm, I'm,
1: no, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm fine I'm not dealing with this yet I'm fine I'm okay fine.
0: and I can yeah. imagine like that must have been so frustrating for yeah. him and like lucky he has the patience that <laughs> that he does yeah. um but like
2: and a lot of husbands don't yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. What was I think one of the most beautiful things that, you know, mums can do for each other to kind of circumvent that is just go and have a coffee with each other regularly. Yeah. And not the same person every time, but mm. just cycle and thinking this is good for me, but it's also good for the other person. Because often things are well, but often they're not. And there's nothing like a coffee and just walking in an open space or whatever else to kind of let the heart then open up. And you'll find that when it's done on a regular basis that and you're going through your friends and you're checking up on each other, then that's when we really become a church. Mm. You know, it's it's a community of people lifting each other up. And so when you're doing that, it changes things. It also changes things for young moms. So I'll, I'll often tell every single young mom, get out of the house, go for a walk, but do it with a friend. And don't do it just for yourself, do it for your friend as well. And so you feel like then I'm serving, but I'm being served. Mm. And so it can be one of those ways, as I said, that can break people out of that cycle of just being stuck at home seeing one friend maximum being around their family and then a husband who's trying to fix things but doesn't know how Mm. whereas you know a good friend can fix things in ways far far better
1: Mm. how about for you like do you feel
0: um i think a lot of it was the same like maybe having somebody else recognize that there was something going on someone who wasn't living with me because like to his credit like you know and my family all recognized there was something going on like even my my mom and my like my aunties like lots of people would make that same comment but it's almost like you almost discount them just because they're around you all the time mm. but I think that would have been one thing that maybe would have helped but I don't know I kind of I think I still look back on that time and just feel like it was so hopeless, mm. <laughs> hopeless. like I can't think of any other word to describe yeah. it I don't know what would have helped me i think maybe if i was more willing to accept that there were other things out there that could help Mm. like therapy like medication like i think that maybe if i was more willing to make those real possibilities for myself then i would have maybe managed a little bit better and even though i knew it was there i could not like it's so hard to bring and i see that in people and like patients all the time it's so hard for them to take that step and it sounds so stupid because like I feel like it's one of the first things you're taught like when you're like in med school Mm. is like you know you should always encourage people to take the first step and taking the first step Mm. is and but you don't you really don't until you're there you don't realize how hard that first step is and then I think for me as well there was just this stigma still even Mm. though you know I would never judge someone in my capacity as a doctor who's come to me and asked for help out that wouldn't even like cross my mind Mm. but For me, it still felt like this stigma that if it was bad enough that I needed to treat it, then it was really bad. Does that make... And that's
2: that's depression kind of in general, but I think that's even much more acute for mums because everything, you look at everything, you Mm know, uh, I look at she's a perfect mum, look how well she's caring with the kids, look how she's doing all that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But I'm not, you know, and I'm obviously not speaking for myself, but like, you you know, you're a failure as a mother you're failing in this first tribulation that has come your way, yeah. the first struggle mm-hmm. that's come your way. And look at you, you're a mess. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so hard to admit that I need help, mm. you know. And, and I think that's probably the role of then the community, the role of the church, to kind of encourage people to say, this is not failure, you know. This mm. is reaching out and asking for help, which is what we're here for, mm. you know, which is what we're here yeah. for.
1: And we're really good at saying that to each other. And to anyone who mm. we recognise, mm. but when it comes to ourselves, like I know, you know, Ragi told me multiple times. I think we just need to, you know, book in with someone. I need. Mm. You think you need to have a chat to someone who's not me. You know, like, and I'd be like, no, and I'd set all these ridiculous criteria for the psychologist. <laughs> that, like, she has has to be female, just be young, but not too young. She has to be Christian because like my whole issue is I'm <laughs> angry with God. Like. So I'd say ridiculous things that I I know I'm not gonna find someone that meets all of my expectations in a way to kind of escape from taking that first yeah. step, like you said. And yeah, I I'm but I'm not a talker, and I feel like that's why a lot of people didn't really recognize because I never really said anything to mm. begin with. Like mm. I can play the part, I can smile when I need to, laugh when I need to, but. I never really shared. And so my family never knew Mm. and, you know, only the people immediately in my household would know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it would be good to kind of just ask those tough questions to your friends and to the people that, you know, you know and that you love Mm. because you don't know what's going to come out. And I know that if someone had asked me, like, how many times did I just break down? I had nothing to say. I just – the fact that Marina would ask would be enough to just – you know open the floodgates and you just need that avenue because I know that that's that's something I would have loved at the time so you just don't know what's going to come out you don't know how much that conversation will help that might be someone's first step
0: and I think like for me like just reflecting on that time for both of us I think a lot of it was that you knew what I'd been through like and you sat there and supported me through and you saw it so I think when you've gone through it it's a little bit easier to see those signs in other people but I think we also need to be better at telling our friends like and our our family that it's okay for you to Mm, seek help because maybe if I'd heard that from somebody outside of my immediate family and friends I would have been more willing to Mm. do that rather than like you know, feeling like it's a, it, and you're right, Abuna. It really does feel like a failure. Like you feel mm. like you've completely just yeah. like you, have you just, you can't get your act together for anything, and so you, and you can't admit that you're struggling because yeah. it really looks, it really looks. I feel like I can't emphasize it enough. Yeah. Like everybody is just mm-hmm. perfect and really does have it together and mm-hmm. knows what they're doing look
2: in fairness you also look like you had it together at church <laughs> and so you'd come in with, your, yeah, you, know, with abby, you know, with abby you know and so it's only when we said privately i was like okay
0: <laughs> which shocks me when i hear that yeah. because i did like i really felt like i was a mess like i had no idea what i was doing like i really you know do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like very interesting to hear it like from because it did not feel like that
2: so maybe in that case part of it's also then looking at you know this is something that i do as a priest just for example people that are married i'll often sit with them before and afterwards and just explain to them that there are some things you could go through and if you do go through these things these are the signs Mm -hmm. and this is what you should do about it and so maybe that's a valuable thing that you know That women can do with each other is that when someone is pregnant to have a real kind of frank conversation And say this is what might happen, you know This is not my experience necessarily, but this is what might happen and these are kind of the warning signs These are things that I found helpful to avoid that happening And I think if enough women start to do that with each other that in itself would kind of break the culture and change Mm -hmm. what happens and so I see the results of that in, in, in small ways, uh, especially with things with marriage. Mm-hmm. What would happen then if we had, you know, most women, because po- I haven't got the statistics, but postpartum blues are probably what, 100%. <laughs> Post, oh, yeah. Postpartum yeah. depression is yeah. what, 25% or something? So
1: 70% for the yeah. blues. Yeah. Um, and then 13% of mm. those mums can go on to have long, sort of a long-term depression. Mm. Um I feel like it's more than
2: that. Let's say it is those numbers. That means that Mm. 75% of people in your social groups are going through a significant downturn in their Mm. mental health. And so everybody, if they have those conversations with each other, and there's warning signs, things that I did, things that help. And so rather than things getting worse to the point that you have to ask, are you okay, what can we do Mm. about it? If from the beginning I'm aware of the warning signs, well, that means then... I'll make sure I'm forcing myself to get out of the house once yeah. a week to go for a walk with a friend and have a mm-hmm. coffee. I'm forcing myself to go on a date night and leave my you know, screaming kid at home with my in-laws. Yeah. Um, you know, and you put in those kind of checks in and balances in to prevent things getting bad. Yeah. And at the same time, in that conversation, you then have the remembrance of, oh, I remember, Mariette told me this, this, this. I'm going through that right now. Mm. Then maybe I can turn to yeah. this particular person. Yeah. you know, And I think that can be very helpful.
1: Yeah. And I think exactly what you're saying, I think asking for help even if you haven't really well prepared, in air quotes, asking for help for me took such a load off and allowed me to have, you know, one night a week where I gave Leah to Mum. Mm. Till now that's the setup we have. It's <laughs> not gonna change. We've negotiated too, but <laughs> might not happen. But one night a week, every week, same day, you know, she stays the whole night with her grandmother and that's a time for me and my husband to then kind of reconnect and have you know go out not Mm. right now with covid but at least like do fun stuff you know Mm. things that you used to enjoy or tap into the things that you once loved Mm. you know Mm. try and you know for me it was about kind of i tried so hard to bring back the old marit and maybe if i bring back of bring back some of the things that she loved before. i like the become crazy shoes? Myself. Uh, look, I've still, I bought some really nice stuff, but I haven't been game enough to wear it. I've just, I've changed. <laughs> um, but like just bringing stuff that I used to love and doing it again, you know, like painting and writing and all, all this artsy stuff that I used to love to do that I completely neglected. Maybe if I tap into that side, I kind of rediscover myself. And I know that sounds sappy, but it, it was the only thing that mm. helped me. And it's so hard asking for help. Ask Marina and I any day. It's so tough. Mm. And for me, it took so long. My mom actually begged me for me to leave Leah with her a night, you know, a week. No grandparent does that. But mm. like she could see I was struggling. It took me age and it took pushes, like pushing from her and from my husband to just, you know, you need to let go. It's just one night. She'll mm. be okay. We're 10 minutes away. It's fine. Like, um, but it's as, it's as hard as it is, I think, if you can just start by asking somebody for help, whoever it is, even if it's the smallest, most minuscule thing, and you'll just feel like this this lightness. <laughs> now mm. I don't stop asking for help. Mm.
2: But it's, it's also much easier to ask for help when things aren't that bad. Mm. Yeah, that's And so true. from a very early stage to just do something reach out to someone and I think that's where it comes in to play when you have that conversation very early a woman's in her third trimester and then have that conversation this is what could happen you know Mm. make sure you do this from the beginning those little things make huge impacts on people's lives yeah Yeah. Mm. also by doing that it also establishes a bridge so that when things do go bad you remember oh Marina told me about this I'm going to go have a chat with Marina
1: yeah Um, I guess it's it's you know with second and third pregnancies once you go through it once you kind of know mm. but it doesn't make you immune no. you know the second and third time around so mm. yes you now know and you have an appreciation but the second time you go through it might look a bit different and the third time you go through it you might go through it you might not go through it and i it, i i guess what i'm saying is like being pregnant again is not like you'll get out of jail free card I think if you've gone through it once yes you now know the warning signs don't expect the second time to be better or you know different in a good way I think set things up early like you know before you even give birth you know this has happened before I can't expect it not to happen because I know the signs and Mm -hmm. I know what I've been through but set things up kind of early yeah
0: and that looks different for everybody like yeah. for some people it's like getting out and going for walks for some people mm. it's you know meeting other people for other people it's like journaling or craft or whatever whatever it is yeah it's different but just having something there um i actually wanted to ask something mm. because just something that i've noticed medication so talking about medication where does that kind of i think f- what I've noticed is, for a lot of people, a big thing is like that's like just a big no-no because they feel like spiritually it's not right. Mm. Can you shed some light?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. I I'm always surprised about how deeply that stigma reaches, mm. even into people who're quite young, mm. educated here, born here. Um, I can understand it. People coming from you know other kind of migration and and coming from Egypt or other places where. That was basically an admission that you're insane, mm. you know, and there's something wrong with you. But even here, it's something that reaches really deeply. And the simple thing is, if someone had appendicitis, would you say, you don't need medication, it's just a spiritual struggle yeah. through it, see, here you go. It's your faith. Yeah, heavy faith. I had a woman actually that came to me once, exactly that, refusing to get treated because she had faith in God. I said, sure, but your faith in God is going to kill you, you know. Because it's not faith. Yeah. You're you're living in an unrealistic world. God gave us medicine in order to heal us. So why should we then expect that that medicine only deals with physical problems Mm. and not with mental problems, you know? We're a human being. We're made up by different parts. And so if if, uh, my mind can go wrong just as my body can, and I can give antibiotics when I have a skin infection why can't I take medication if I have a mental health issue? Mm. And for everyone that takes a different shape um, and most GPs who are usually the starting point in that will recognise that and so often there'll be you know, a chat with a psychologist um, they might do some assessments and then if it really does seem like it's something that you need some help with then medication will be introduced and the medication is not a fix You know, the medication um, mainly will address some kind of imbalances in the hormones in the brain but its main purpose is to give you the headspace to work through whatever needs to be worked through. Sometimes it also just gives you the headspace to escape a period of time, you know, for example, grief um, or the loss of a loved one, whatever it is. And so, that's for the place of medication. But I think we should treat it, and understand it to be exactly in the same way as any other medication that we use for our bodies. Mm. It's not failure. It's not an admission that I failed and I didn't control my thoughts and I could have been a better yeah. person. I could have prayed more. Um, not at all. Not at all. Mm. I think it's just something that you know, it's a conversation, just as you would go to someone and say, "Look, I've got high cholesterol. Mm. Okay, Norries, no try to do some lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Try to improve your diet. Oh, you failed that. You can't do that. Your cholesterol's too high. Let's think about some medication, mm-hmm. but still do all the other things as well. Mm-hmm. And that, for many people, would just be a six-month, you know, course of medication. Mm-hmm. Some people it extends a bit, a little bit longer. I, I don't think um, there should be any stigma whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing. Um, in the teachings of the church, that's against it in any way or form. If anything, it's a very useful tool if it's done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you, because I think like that's something that I've seen at work is definitely and actually interestingly, it doesn't seem to be like specific to like Orthodox Christians. Mm-hmm. I actually find that it seems to be across the board. So I feel like it must be like much deeper. Yeah, and,
2: it, it's it's almost like I think we imagine that our minds are necessarily. Um, the place of our worship of God. Mm. And so we think if my mind isn't right, then that means I'm not worshiping God, Right, I'm not in communion with God in the correct way. And I think that's a, that's a huge mistake. That's mm. a huge mistake. Because we have seen, you know, there are many of the saints of the church who struggled with mental health issues, you know. Um, there are some quite incredible saints who struggled with anxiety or depression, mm. and they struggled with them in their own different ways. But almost always you'll see one thing that is common is that they actually treated the problem they didn't imagine it was just a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. Of course, spirituality and the strength of my soul gives me more capacity to deal with issues. But at the same time, sometimes there's a mental health issue going on that just needs to be fixed. Mm. Um, and and also, you know, I know I know this isn't kind of the purpose of this podcast, but I'm going to hijack it a little bit as well. Mm. Is men, you know, it's actually when where yeah, when they're <laughs> when they're going through these kind of you know their wives are going through postpartum issues they have to deal with that in some way as well, but also they themselves go through their own kind of past postpartum issues. I remember when I had my, um not that I can share cause I don't really have much to share, but when I had my, my first kid, Chloe, I didn't feel it at all. Like Sherry was a machine. She handled it perfectly. She's terrible at pregnancy, but she's good with you know babies. Um, and so she was fine. Second kid came, Luke, who's probably a bit of a punk and was kind of like a, a warning sign that he was always going to be like that. But, I was struggling big time because I went from a position where Sherry was kind of doing everything. I was still doing nappies and whatever else, but now there was two kids. And so Mm. I had to be taking care of one kid while she was taking care of one kid. Mm. I'd have to do breakfast and other things. And it was all the time there was something to be done. And I really struggled Mm. because I hadn't, I went from a transition of relative freedom to always having to do something, Mm. Yeah, you know, and it was it made me angry like i was frustrated um for a number of months until i got to the realization where i was like okay this is my new normal mm. this is what i have to do for the rest of my life i need to move on and i did and it was quite a, a quick change for me that brought me a lot of peace but i've also seen a lot of men that don't adjust that well mm. and that's often when other things happen midlife crisis whatever you want to call them where they start doing stupid things and Mm. it's they're acting out because they can't deal with that responsibility that comes Mm. so i think it's not just having to deal with the postpartum issues of their partner it's often they themselves have postpartum issues where i've lost my freedom i can't Mm. do what i want to do i'm not sleeping at night anymore i've got a kid screaming i've got a wife that's not as pleasant and beautiful and lovely as she was before Mm. because she's now gone through pregnancy and whatever else and she's frustrated and she's tired and so I think all of these things can, then jump on each other, mm. Mm. yeah, and that has a, a certain effect on relationships. Mm. And I think the more prepared not just a woman is, but also the couple is for mm. this, and aware of this, can be very useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, I think like to add to that, like I think dads need to be better at talking to other dads as well, because mm. I think everyone jokes like makes a big like joke about it, but nobody actually talks about it seriously. Um, but I'm sure they that they could all find like support in each other. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, because mm. like, no one's struggling alone. I think that's the the theme that we. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and the that's finding. the title of this. Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think they too, just like us, they have to deal with that false guilt that plagues us. Like mm. I need to be perfect, and so that stops me from seeking help that stops me from taking the medications when I'm you know, told this is probably the best thing for me it that false sense of you know I need to be this particular mum or I need to be this particular dad based on what I still don't know but that's the kind of standard that we set for ourselves and it's false because if we were perfect we would not be here mm. <laughs> like we would have finished the race and you know we're mm-hmm. good but we're Imperfect. We are in our fallen state, and yet we still set that ridiculous mm. standard. Like I, you know, I can't go on medications because then I, I won't be perfect. Like, mm. well, we're not perfect, mm. and I think dads too struggle with the exact same thing. And unfortunately, we can sometimes drive them to that. Like, what What do you mean you didn't do that? And why? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be this. You're supposed to be mm. helpful, and. We not only set standards for ourselves, but we also set standards for our partner. And I think, Mm. you know, we can start by talking to others, talking to each other and just kind of trying to find each other in our shortcomings rather than setting,
2: Mm.
1: you know, standards Mm. that really don't exist. Like nobody meets those standards, but Christ. and Mm. Yeah.
2: And he met those standards and spent his whole life and eternal life. Trying to lift up everyone else yeah. to those standards, yeah. you know, and I think that's that's one of the things that we just need to be aware of is that we need to be properly focusing on others, in order so that we can see that glimmer, that little focus of the eyes, that little, you know, the little tear, so that you can recognize someone to lift somebody up, yeah. and so if, especially for dads, mums, everyone, anyway every couple should have those conversations with each other, from the beginning, so that you know, prevent it in the beginning, yeah. Mm. As as I said, I mean, I remember one account that I read of someone in the 15th century or something like that, who, very similar to St. Ignatius, who, the way that he broke himself out of all of this was in being very sensitive to the thoughts that were entering his head. Mm. And so if a thought entered his head, which was negative, he would immediately reject it. And that doesn't mean the thought is saying something negative in terms of, you know, you're evil. No. Anything that made him feel hopeless, that made him lose his hope in God, that made him not want to go to God, he would reject that thought. He wouldn't even let it go near his mind. Any thought that he had that was positive, that made him feel, I have hope in God, that I want to move towards God, he would accept. And so he was very strict, very radical, very intentional in doing that. And he broke himself out of that. And so I think especially in these kind of things, is that we have to understand that not everything that's happening in our heads is from God or from us. Mm -hmm. And so every thought that comes into me that is saying things like, you know, I don't believe he exists because he wouldn't leave me like this. Reject it. Why do you have to play with it? Move it away. Focus rather on hope and trusting in that hope. And if you don't have any hope, that's fine. Cool. Go get some help. Go get some help, But don't fight around and negotiate with those Mm -hmm. negative thoughts and play with those negative thoughts and struggle with those negative thoughts because that's just going to spiral you further and further down. And that's obviously easier said than done. Um, But it's a very useful thing that we really have our our eyes focused on hope. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And God meets us where we are. Mm. He said this Mm. earlier. Um, He truly does. He meets us in the chaos and the mundanity and... The pits, and he just meets us exactly where we are right now. You know, like the Samaritan woman was just going about her Mm. normal day to day, and he met her at the well because he knew that that's where she was going to be. And that's, you know, Christ meets us there, and he'll find a way to meet us there. And I know for me, it came in so many different forms, and a lot of them I'm sure I didn't notice, but you know then he kind of screamed at me one day at work through a patient and that was I was like okay well you're here Mm. I'll Mm. I'll start to kind of pay a bit more attention to you know your your presence and your your appearances Mm. I guess so I guess going back to who we were and where we are now we can't be so hard on ourselves so yeah we need to kind of try and expel all those thoughts that don't bring us closer to god but also don't expect yourself to be the same person Mm -hmm. you know you're different things look different your time is different your energy is different the effort you put into things now is very different to the effort you put into things before so i think we just need to have a bit more grace on ourselves and that will help us show grace to others and i you kind of can't help someone else when you're completely empty it's Mm -hmm. really hard so I think if we just start with those that might be a good I don't know starting point I guess.
3: Yeah, I
0: agree. And I think like
1: leading into what you were saying like um
0: like the the Bible, the word of God always like there's always something encouraging there. Yeah. And, like, if that means having – it actually reminded me of, like, what I used to do during, like, HSC, mm-hmm. which at the time felt like was your most stressful period of time. But yeah. literally just having, like, really encouraging verses, like, up everywhere. And that instantly, like, lifted up my mood. And I think for some reason we don't deem it to be acceptable now to do that. Be so but you're surrounding
2: yourself with hope. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. 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 So that even when you can't think those thoughts, yeah, even when you can't feel there. those thoughts – they're somehow entering. Mm. They're yeah. somehow entering. Mm.
0: So I don't know. I actually think like you, when you were talking, that's all, yeah. I, all I could think of is like like finding hope in his word um, ultimately. And we just need to find ways to incorporate that into, yeah. into our new lives. Mm. Yeah, being mm.
2: creative mm. and accepting. As I said, we don't care about the past. Mm. It makes no difference. Yeah. But I'm going to be creative today. Today, I'm angry at the world and whatever else, <laughs> but I'm happy to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah. Be creative. And then if you want to pray two minutes, one psalm when you're there, mm-hmm. and you want to pray an angry psalm, yeah. pray an angry <laughs> psalm. Just do whatever, but just yeah. be creative. Yeah. And I think people have to have that freedom to recognize that. Before I was praying the, you know, the, the prayer book that would every single day at the, sing- the same time, and I had the time to do that and whatever else, but now I can't do it because mm-hmm. I'm going through stuff and I'm angry and I'm depressed. That's fine. Mm-hmm. God's not going to say to you, why didn't you speak to me through the beer on yeah. this particular night at this particular hour? What he's going to say is, were you trying to meet me? Were you letting mm. me meet you? Yeah, you know. And if I couldn't feel you, but you were still trying to search for me, that's enough. Mm. That's enough. So I think being creative, being creative is very important.
1: Yeah, Audible is really good. Um, listening to sermons, listening mm. to podcasts, listening <laughs> to hymns or music or anything that kind of just fills you. your mind with. Mm positive thoughts because unfortunately when when i binge it's it's never on positive stuff It's just tv that does not fill my mind with good stuff um and i guess uh just going back to the hope that's in the bible like we know like in hebrews we have a high priest that empathizes with us like he was tempted as we are here he's been through this he kind of knows what we're going through this isn't Depression isn't something new under the sun. Mm. This has been going on for a really long time and he gets it. And if all I want to do is stand in front of him and just complain, that is okay. Like he understands and he loves us all the same regardless. Mm.
0: So I guess the important thing out of all of this is just for everyone to know, like you're not alone. People have, everyone's been there to some extent, some more than others, but the most important thing is one, checking up on each other, um, making sure that everyone is has help available to them. And don't forget that you might be the only person that's asked someone, really asked someone how they really are. Mm. Um, so be ready to listen and be ready to kind of guide people to where they need to go. Um, and just remember that it's not a failure. It's like depression, anxiety, mental health, generally mental illness, generally is a very real
1: thing and we just need to be better about it talking about it yeah um and like we said at the start this is really just a platform for Mm. us to start having these discussions um so if you feel like anything that we spoke about today resonated with you if you feel like you need to seek help reach out um ask your friends ask your family um and you can always you know touch base with us Mm -hmm. if you have any questions or if you want something specific to be kind of mentioned on this podcast or addressed uh, find us on instagram so the underscore Mami m-a-m-i underscore village um and you can just dm us directly there and on facebook just Mami m-a-m-i and i'll advertise slido but nobody uses slido but you're <laughs> also on slido you can submit questions or comments sli.do um and the code is Mami m-a-m-i so please reach out some of you have reached out already and you know that's super cool um but you know we want to take all your suggestions on board as well so if you feel like really something is really close to your heart and you want you you want to share your experience or you want to hear about it um we'll be bringing in more guest speakers as well and other people to help us answer some of the questions Mm -hmm. so please reach out And thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Father Dan, for joining us. It's been epic.
2: Yeah, it's been a cool night.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's quite quite fun. fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's therapeutic. (laughs) It's it's therapeutic, exactly. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.